that we just have so much data that it's not that we've become numb to it, but maybe overwhelmed by it. Just think on a personal basis how much data is flowing in from our smartphones and cameras and all this stuff that's collecting data, our credit card purchases. Like individually, it's overwhelming to manage the health and security of just that data. But from a company perspective, you know, we get siloed on digital data website and phones and tablets and kiosks, but that's just such a small percentage of all of this data that the company is collecting and we're being collect pushed to collect more and more and more. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Right, and we're back in the studio again. And Jason, this week we've got a very special guest with us uh, joining us to talk about data. Um, Very broad way of putting it. We'll get into more details about what that means. But uh, this week we have Stuart Alanis with us. Um, So Stuart is a 20-plus year analytics professional who has provided valuable business insights for large brands and multiple industries. He currently serves as a data governance steward. So Stuart is a steward uh, focused on... Oh, he's never so, heard that joke before. Yeah, I know, but I, and I, I know, and I couldn't resist. Like it just, it, it presented itself right here. So I'm like, <laughs> I have to go with it. Um, yeah, he's focused on optimizing data collection, data, data enablement, and analytics processes, including platform usage. And last but not least, he drives a learning literacy program to help educate business stakeholders, analysts, and technical teams on the value of data, which he and I, like two weeks ago, had this great chat. And I'm like, dude, you line up with one of these topics I've been thinking about. So, but before we get into our actual conversation today, you know, Stuart, welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, before we dive in, um, what else would you would you like to share? Like, you know, tell us how you got into analytics. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jim. So um, back in 2008, I was finishing up my marketing degree, and there was a job that came up uh, that looked really interesting to me, and it just said oh, a web analyst. Basically, um, I looked at it and thought it would probably make me a better marketer if I understood a little bit more what goes on under the hood and how things are presented from an online fashion, um, because we did a lot of e-commerce at the time. So I thought, okay, let me understand that a little bit better. It might make me you know, come up with better campaigns and things like that for online. Um, I applied for the job and I, I got it. I don't think anyone else applied. I don't think anybody else knew really what it was in the company, it was brand new. Um, and from there, I just kind of got stuck. I didn't think about going back into doing more traditional marketing. Um, I just thought this is really fun. I liked the forensics aspect of it. I liked the kind of uh, ways you can go and understand how users are, or customers are traversing your site. You know, are they doing the things you would like them to do? If not, what are they doing and how can we try and guide them a little bit better? Those kind of things. Um, yeah, and then just from there, just started getting into more marketing analytics, um, was doing some consulting a little bit. Um, that's where, you know, Jason came in this is about 12 years ago now. Jeez. Um, yeah. So worked with him for a bit, uh, moved on to Disney, was doing a lot of media analytics. So kind of like all over the gamut, just kind of working with different, um, you know, consumers into different verticals and now just working with GoDaddy. Um, so yeah, that's basically my short history, uh, going back to how I started. And Stuart is an amazing musician. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we did a collaboration a long time ago. I don't know if Jason <laughs> yeah. talked to you about that. Yeah. No, this is news to me. Well, it's it's kind of like, and we have a we have a client that's kind of doing this. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember his name over at HPP. 
uh, where he kind of doesn't, isn't he doing online collaborations with other people and kind of mashing it together? Is that Mike? Yeah, Mike. Okay. I think Jason told, Jason Bull told me a little bit about yeah. that. So we, we tried to pull that off many years ago, uh, doing kind of a collaboration remotely. Uh, it was fun. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> So, we were doing it way before COVID. Yeah, it was way before. <laughs> we were way ahead of our time. You know, we were, we were so cool back then. So. And usually Jim has a good uh, segue into our, our topic. So I'm sure he's already planned it and is like trying to lead us down a path. Maybe. Um, yeah. not, not a creative segue. Um, but I think like, you know, let's, let's, I want to be respectful of Stuart's time. So I think I've got a good topic today, which I think can take us in a couple different directions but like i said like before Stuart and i even talked i've been toying with this episode and then when he and i talked i was like dude i think you're a perfect fit for this and the top the title i have at the moment is talking about the value of data or rather the cost of bad data um and you know right now you hear a lot of people say um data is the new oil um which while may be true i think it oversimplifies what data is and the value it can provide. Because I think data by itself isn't inherently value, valuable. It, the value comes when it's properly collected, processed, refined, and injected into the right conversations. So it takes effort. It's just by itself, it's not valuable. And I think people these days are oversimplifying the value of data. So where I'm kind of, with that title I'm talking about is, is okay, We've been talking, and Stuart, before, you know, the, the episodes prior to this one, Jason and I have been just talking about value in general and the value analytics teams bring to organizations. So what is the value of data? But then data by itself, it's not either valuable or not valuable. It's It could be valuable or it could be costly. Like, is that making sense? Like what could happen? What is the value of data? But then what could happen if you don't take the proper... Uh, processes to collect it and make sure it's used properly, what kind of costs could happen or what co kind of costs could come up? Yeah. I mean, if that's a question just in general, um, the one thing I could think of that I've seen uh, at many different companies um, is the collection might go well, but maybe the producing of the data doesn't go very well. Um, so as you maybe, um, Maybe you're not really focused on or have a good process for uh, whatever step or stage you're in. So when it comes to data producing, data engineering, pulling the data into a tool to visualize it, that kind of thing, um, whichever process isn't being adhered to or followed, then you're kind of kicking that problem down the road to the next group of folks. So what I've seen as an analyst quite a bit is, um, you know, we don't have a data set that's properly collecting data in a certain field. Let's say there's a marketing campaign name. Um, you have five different flavors of the same name because one has, you know, camel case, one's all lowercase, one has a space at the end. So you go and use your filter and your visualization tool, Tableau or Power BI or whatever it is, and you have all these different values showing up. Well, you get pushed on to say, well, why don't we just group those together and call it one thing? Okay, that's a Band-Aid, sure. But you need to go back and have that data cleaned in your uh, schema, in your table. Um, and I think a lot of times folks don't want to spend that time to do that. So then you end up with tech debt. And then that just kind of proliferates and goes on and on as people are kind of demanding answers in a timely fashion, which I totally get. You don't want to you know, keep the business from running but we need to learn how to go back and fix those things that need to be fixed rather than just ignoring them since we got the answer we needed and kind of moving on uh, as an example. All right, two, two follow-up questions that I thought of as you were talking and I'm trying to figure out the right order to ask them in. Uh, I guess the first one is I'll take a step back. What, so, so Jim mentioned in the intro your, your role as a data steward. What is a data steward and how does it apply to kind of the overall quality and health of, of the data? So a lot of what I'm focused on is terminology. So let's say we have a, um, I think I mentioned this to Jim, MAU. A lot of folks in the industry know what a monthly active user is. Well, at GoDaddy, at least when I started four years ago, 
there were at least two different uh, definitions for what that is. MAU by itself is a count. Um, that's what I learned. And MAU at GoDaddy means it's a percentage. So uh, MAU rate, if you will. Um, so basically what I'm trying to do with our cataloging tool is to have analysts come in and create articles that define and, and describe what a metric is, what an event is, what a state is, what an entity is, and make sure that that is governed and goes through a process of review within a bunch of different folks who say, yes, we check that off. That's good to go. That's what we want to use. That should be used across the company. So we didn't quite have this going four years ago when I started, but as we kind of, you know, present new scorecard metrics for the corporate corporation, for the corporate business teams, um, you know, stuff that we report out to the street. We want to make sure all these things are in line with how everybody's using them. So that's what I focus on. And then at the same time, we have other folks who are, you know, really focused on the, um, the platform, governance of the platforms, governance of the, the actual data, the tables, um, they're being you know, architected in the right way. Um, so they're not, like you mentioned earlier, Jim, expensive to run queries off of. Um, sometimes we find that's happening quite a bit in certain places that people are running uh, queries that just cost a lot of money and they don't realize or understand that component of it. Um, so yeah. what, what you do is, I mean, we, as we sit here and talk about it, it's like, well, of course that makes sense. But yeah. how often have we not heard this talked about as an industry within companies, the importance of having clarity on the definition of what we call things? And I think that there's a really strong line directly to our topic of, you know, the subtopic of the cost of bad data. Do you, I mean, without, without kind of uh, talking about things you're unable to talk about, have you seen examples where not having clarity on even simple things on what a visit is or what a conversion rate is has proven costly to a business because either they're sharing information that's incorrect or they're making decisions on information that they think it's one thing, but it's actually another thing. Yeah, absolutely. We just had an example of that recently. Um, and yeah, I can't go into the details of that, but basically one team was presenting something um, that was, was based around revenue. And I think the name of the revenue metric that they were reporting on was slightly different from what it was that the team who actually owns that metric or you know usually works with that particular set of data understood. So something was being reported out um, that was, I think, 5x higher than what it actually was. Um, and it's, it was just basically confusion around nomenclature, around understanding like, we, oh, we thought it was this. And so we pulled this number and even the analyst that we got it from said, that's what it is. And then they're like, oh no, that's actually this. And it's like, oh, well, you guys reported that and here we are today. So. <laughs> So obviously in your role, there's creating clarity around that so that there can be more trust in, in that. Um, but in your history, maybe going back to, to consulting or other companies, um, how much of that is on the analyst? And I have a follow-up question to that. Uh, for just assuming what the data is. Um, I think, and, and I've seen this especially in the digital realm, we just kind of take it at face value that, well, it came out of this tool and so it means this. We go forward with our reporting and analysis without even questioning what that data is. Right. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I try and strive for and have people um, kind of use as a best practice is to share what it is that they're finding with other teams who can maybe help provide context or confirm or say, no, actually, we just changed that last month. We should be using this because that, as you guys probably are aware with your customers, happens quite a bit. Um, goals change, metrics change. Um, they want to use this instead because they think it might you know, provide more insight, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> I think sharing what I found most recently is if you're an analyst supporting a business stakeholder, I think instead of 
you know, not to belittle an analyst, but to, to instead of saying that you know what this thing is, I've worked on this for two years. I know exactly what they're asking for. I think you should just always share what results or solutions or anything that you have with your business stakeholder because they're going to have the most context around what's being asked for. Um, and then they can provide confirmation and clarity around what it is. And if it looks weird to them, then you can go back to your data teams and say, hey, stakeholders saying this number looks a little off. Can we go back and check and validate that this is actually accurate? Um, that's kind of what, what I like to try and instill. And you're, you're triggering a, a memory in me. Um, <laughs> maybe good, maybe bad, but I, so client, I was working client side. Um, my one stint, four years doing analytics for an online dating company. Um, I, I, I did that exact same thing. I, I made a lot of assumptions. I came to some conclusions. I was super excited. You know, I'm in front of the CMO, I'm in front of the CEO. I'm like, aha. And they're like, I wish you would have come to us a long time ago because this thing was happening. And so your conclusion is completely wrong. And if you would have known that, you could have went over here and told us. And I'm like, ah, good lesson to, to learn there. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the other things that you brought up was, um, I can't remember the exact word you used, but you it was something ar around we don't want to or there's no desire to clean the data or um, I, you mentioned it kind of in your, your opening. I guess my question is one, why do you... Why do you see that happening? And, and maybe it's because it's going to show my age and where I came from. But when I first started getting into data in the in the 1990s, mm -hmm. we didn't have Google Analytics and Adobe Analytics and these tools that did all this pre-processing for us. So as an analyst, I was forced to spend probably the majority of my time researching the data, cleaning it, organizing it, pivoting it, and then doing my analysis. And so I just kind of assumed that that was part of the role. But now it feels like with the current day analysts, especially in the technical world, we we assume that the tools do a lot of that data preparation for us and that it's not our job to do that. And if anything's wrong, quote unquote, with the data, it's a problem with the tool rather than us looking at it as a, well, maybe it's just how it's organized and how the implementer decide to implement. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just different from how we had thought about organizing the data in our head. So I guess, again, the question back to you is why do you, what's what's your theory on why so many current day analysts see that as not part of their role to, and again, I don't even want to call it fix the data because it's, it's really in preparing the data to do analysis. We want to just jump in and do analysis. Yeah, I mean, that's typically, so I come from the same background that you do, even having started in, it was like, 03 as like a supply chain analyst was if something didn't look right to me, I, we really didn't know like who to go to or who to help us fix what it is. So you just start digging on yourself, uh, you know, digging in on, on that yourself. Um, I think the more we are focused on kind of separating and segmenting out specific roles within like data organizations, and saying, you're accountable for this. So I'm just gonna focus on this thing. Data engineering, you're accountable for this, et cetera. I think that shared responsibility is getting lost, which I think we used to have a lot more of, you know, no matter what culture you're in, uh, small, large, like at Disney, I think we tried to share that. Um, but you know, at some corporations, there's just a lot of, you know, kind of finger pointing. The analyst should be the be all end all because they're the last one who is presenting that data to the stakeholders. So they should really make sure that it's accurate. And then you get pushback from folks, you know, upstream who don't want to help you make sure that that data is accurate. Um, so it's, it's a challenge. And I think what we're trying to do, you know, with governance and part of what I'm doing as well is just trying to make sure we have, you know, you're not, you know, forcing people into being accountable or owning something, but you're trying to make them understand that this, this whole thing will only function if we're all contributing to it, you know, um, whether that's data validation or, you know, collection, um, you know, those kind of things. So I think when you talk about coming from web analytics, 
that implementation piece was huge. Mm -hmm. So you would test a site up and down, make sure these click events are happening when they should be happening. These page loads, these URLs, all these values and dimensions are showing up the way they should before you do anything. And I know that was also lost because people wanted to speed that process up and use automation and, you know, yada, yada. I just think understanding the fundamentals really is all it goes back to and making, you know, sure whether you're an analyst or whatever, you understand what this team does. You understand what this team does. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to be an engineer to understand at a high level what their expertise is. And I think just, you know, making sure everyone understands all the way down the chain what each team kind of does, we can all help each other with that. Yeah. Do, do you think that, that that is the case because... Um we've become so highly specialized in our roles that we're doing very niche things in a larger th kind of ecosystem and it's quote, not our job, not our responsibility. Or do you see it as maybe an output of lack of executive leadership to pull all of these cohesive things into, we're going back to the musician example, rather than a bunch of musicians playing random things, orchestrating them together into one piece? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I would say, <laughs> that is the latter. Uh, not to put leadership folks on the spot, but those leaders who maybe um, just be just be candid aren't the best leaders and who don't truly understand that full scope of you know or breadth of what their teams can do and understanding how to have them you know fill in some of the gaps. I think that's probably the biggest part of it. Um, yeah, the musician example is great. So a utility player can play keyboards, guitars, can, you know, do backup vocals. Like, who are those guys? Like, can we isolate those guys on the team? Gals, you know? The Dave Grohl's Maybe. of the world, come on. Right, exactly, yeah. And, you know, hey, we're missing this piece right now. Can one of you guys step up and help us, you know, figure this out? Um, but then you do have those folks who are just like, you know, Eddie Van Halen, like, okay, who are those guys, yeah. you know, and, or gals, like, let's have them go do this work in this vertical and, you know, have them shine, but then also teach us, you know, some of those things, um, show us how they came up with those things. But yeah, I think it, it has a lot to do with, with leadership, unfortunately, again. I no, no. I mean, we, like you know, if we don't. Mouthing. No, no. I mean, I don't think it's bad mouthing. I think it's shining a spotlight on opportunities that we have. And I think we maybe have been too shy at calling that out. And it's only kind of helped perpetuate the problem rather than coming up with creative solutions to the problem. Yeah. I mean, I realize the, the audience uh, in this podcast, you know, VP, CEO, and I make mention of the, I mentioned to Jim, I said, you know, and the VPs of the world, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> it's like, not you, Jim. <laughs> so yeah, there's good and bad with, with everything. And it's just, you know, the other thing, I guess, if we're going to be, you know, open about it is I'm, I'm seeing, and I've seen this everywhere I've gone and, uh, you know, Unfortunately, it is just it's just everywhere. I'm not sure where it is not, but folks in leadership talking good stuff and not having anything to back it up. So if you have one of your employees come to you, Jason, and say, hey, in our team meeting that we had a month ago, you mentioned this. I haven't seen anything come about with that yet. How's it going? Like, what's the progress? Are you working on it? You know, and you give, this is a conversation between you and that employee and you give some feedback about, well, you know, we really thought that wasn't the best way to go. So we're actually doing this other thing. Well, if you didn't share it with your team or at least ask them what they thought about the new direction, to me, that's like, you're kind of hiding stuff from your employees and you're not allowing them to help solve whatever issues that you have going on. So I've seen that, you know, quite a bit where you have these big meetings and all these goals are laid out and this is how we're going to attack them. And then down the road, 
it's like half of them aren't, you know, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing this. And it's like, because we said so kind of thing. I've definitely uh, been guilty of that. So, so, <laughs> but I mean, you got to hold to your, you know, yeah. if you strongly believe in something like, you know, when you started 33 sticks, you know, like you had all these ideas and so many people were just like, what are you doing? Like, are you crazy? And you're like, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, I believe in this. I'm going to, you know, no matter what. Like, yeah. So, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Sure. Um, okay. This is completely random. Can I just, can I just say how much I love the juxtaposition of these birds that you have in the background and they're like so zen and calming contrasted with clearly illegally modified mufflers going up and down your street <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> oh, that's great um having the cans on helps me not hear the cars i can't hear anything to be honest just you guys but um uh, that's good. yeah hopefully that makes for a good podcast yeah no 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 it's good ambiance <laughs> um one one of the other <laughs> One of the other things, um, one of the other things that you mentioned, oh man, now I got myself all off track. I'm like, I had a good question lined up and I'm like, I had to mention the mufflers. Um, hold on, trying to go back to where we were. So we were talking about, uh, web analytics and putting things together and, ah, it's going to come back to me. Uh, Jim, do you have any questions while I try to get this question back? Cause I think it was a good one. Putting Jim on the spot. You know what, I'm going to go with what you were just talking about a minute, minute ago with, with, with leadership. And it's it's a conversation Jason and I have all the time. We've mentioned it many, many times on the podcast. And we, we liken it to, you know, big family dinners and whatnot. You've got the adult table and, and, and the kids table. And, and to your point about, like, leadership and data and actually using the data – one of the problems we found routinely is that like analytics doesn't have that seat at the adult table and that's half the problem. And like, we've talked many, many times about what it would take to, to, to solve for that. Um, and yeah, I think that that is the big thing. And a lot of times we send the wrong people to talk to the folks at the adult table and then they're like, okay, that, that, that's, that, that's great. Go back, back, back over there. Um, because like we, we either send the people who get really, really weedsy with the technical component of the data collection or, or ones that maybe are completely off base with, with use of the data. Like, does that make sense? Like, what are your thoughts on that analogy? Yeah, absolutely. I think not only might you send the wrong person to the table, but I think sometimes, um, the adults don't even want to hear the kids speak kids Again, that, that be, is very true. Be yeah, the little analyst, but they already have like no, like they'll listen to you, and you can send one of your best, you know, representatives, as it were, and they're they already have their minds made up, which is unfortunate. So I've gotten into that pickle a few times at companies I've worked for, where it's like we presented you with all of this information that you guys could use, and you're not using any of it, and so you know, get into a little conversation with other analysts and team members. And it's like, why are we here again? Like, why did they hire us? <laughs> because they're not listening to anything that we have to say. Yeah, I'm reminded of this one time uh, many, many years ago, maybe like, I believe not actually 14 years ago, I, I just started working for this one company that had an enterprise e-commerce platform. And they were like the you know they they had like this this like mini product page and cart overlay idea and and the senior executives were all about it we need to make it look flashy and you know like this way you know drive people to add more to cart and whatnot and they start rolling it out on all of these client sites and it's one of these interactions where you're on a category page and you hover over the product image and most people when you click on it it takes you to the product page in this case, you click on it, brings up this overlay. And so then part of part of the company, they had a usability lab. So they would bring in people and set them up on the, the machines with like the eye tracking software and everything and, and record them for case studies. And one of the senior VPs is watching the case study for this new feature they rolled out. And like every bit of the feedback 
you know, the, the qualitative data was terrible. Like people like downright, downright frustrated with this thing. But yeah, everybody was all like gung ho about like, this is, this is it. This is what we need. Let's just start rolling it out without even really testing it. And the feedback was terrible. Like it interferes with the, the experience. I don't know how, what this is. I don't know how to get rid of it. I'm frustrated. I can't get to where I want to. And I think of that all the time when it comes to making decisions based off of gut feel versus actually having data to help drive that decision. Yeah. And I love Stuart's um, kind of counterpoint because we've always looked at it from a, why aren't we getting invited to the table? It's like, we're doing something wrong. I think there are things that we can do better to get invited to the table, but I love Stuart's perspective of, but it's not all on us. Like the executives have to have value and trust in what we're bringing and not just look at us like the little kids and kind of pat us on the head. It's like, ah, cute, cute data. You know, that it's, it's a two way street where there's some maturing that we need to do as analysts, but there's also some maturing that needs to happen at the executive level to truly appreciate the value that we can bring to organizations. So I, I, I love that counterpoint, Stuart. Um, yeah. It's challenging for sure. Yeah, it um, is. And, and, and thanks for jumping in, Jim, because my question came back to me. So um, I've been pretty vocal about sustainable analytics. I, I like to take a slower pace to data and analysis, um, kind of a more you know craft approach to it. Um, but you mentioned something like we find issues with the data, bad data, uh, lack of efficiencies in the data, we band-aid it, we patch it, we do our analysis and then we go forward, we don't go back and fix these things or kind of shore up our infrastructure. Why Why do you think that is happening? Is there an over-indexing on the importance of just doing more and more new stuff that we can't slow down? Um, is it a lack of understanding that oftentimes we go fast by going slow and, and going back and taking care of that infrastructure actually helps us speed up, but we're so caught up in what, like creating outputs, creating artifacts? Like why are we stuck in this cycle of outputting more and more and more, but we're ignoring the foundation that we're trying to build all this stuff on top of? It's a great question. I think it's, um, there's multiple answers probably for that. Um, I think with trying to get answers as quickly as possible, that's one reason. I think because data is essentially being collected and processed and delivered at such high rates and at high velocity, more and more and more, we are just stumbling over ourselves to try and get the best stuff as quickly as possible. So we can be the first out there to have an answer to something, um, whether it's competing against other businesses or, uh, you know, just with ourselves, Hey, how can we improve this process? Oh, there's this new tool that does this thing. Okay. Awesome. Oh, what about, you know, now we have chat GPT. Can we start feeding that stuff to automate this process that we used to do or that we do manually today or part of the process? Like it just, it's continuously trying to, um, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like a race to me. That's what it feels like. Yeah. It, and, and we don't want to go back and run the tape and say, you know, what was I doing on the first quarter of that mile? you know, that I can improve on and then fix that and then kind of go, you know what I mean? Like we just, we ignore that and we're just like, no, we did good enough. Let's try and, you know, move forward without really understanding what things we could improve on, I guess. Um, what, if, what if we looked at it from a more drastic approach? So going back to Jim's statement that people are saying, you know, data is the new oil and yeah, I mean, data is going to be massively monetized on, on a scale that we, you know, not even seeing today. Mm -hmm. But we have history to show us that if we're not careful and, and look at the responsibility that we have to, um, to your title, be a good steward of the data, what happens when we become the next Exxon Valdez? And, and now how much harm have we caused to our brand reputation, to our customers, to the ecosystem? Because we've wanted to go so fast, but we haven't been a good steward of the data and now it spills and it's, it's now a mess. Like, do, are we not thinking about the possible outcomes of not caring for the data? 
I think public companies are <laughs> yeah. because, you know, uh, there's a data breach at XYZ company Experian, you know, and even that didn't get a whole lot of, uh, I don't, I don't think it got enough attention as it were with what happened there. The brevity of just everyone's information just being put out there like that. Um, from a business perspective, from like a, a an organization, there is an example I have of reporting out sales numbers that um, ended up for some reason, you know, changes happened in the back end with the data. The numbers were 2x what they were supposed to be. And everybody was really um, focused on these numbers because there was a comp that it was beating or ready to beat that hadn't been seen before in like four or five years. So everybody was super excited about it and it got reported out. Thankfully, it never got to the level of like, you know, shareholders and things like that. It was just within the company to the presidents, et cetera. Um, and we found out later that I think it was two or three weeks later, hey guys, this number was uh, doubled for some reason. It's actually not going to reach that milestone we thought it was going to. And everybody looked at analytics like, dude, what? Like, but see, the thing is, in context, that number made sense. So everybody, even the business, everybody was like, this is great. Nobody thought twice about it. But when we went back and looked at the data, and then we got our, you know, the finger pointed at us for, you know, hey, you guys reported this, you should have known. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, it just always happens that way. But I, I'm, I'm not sure where... Uh, like your, your example is great about the Exxon Valdez, but I just, I'm, I'm not sure what we do or what happens um, if we see something like that. We've already seen things like that, like I said, in certain companies. Um, we've seen them here at GoDaddy. You guys may have seen at least two or three since I've been here for four years that there is some data breach and it's not because of us, like we keep increasing our security, we keep increasing those kind of things. Um, I don't know if you have good examples that you guys have seen that has, you know, caused negative ripple effects that take time to try and, you know, try and fix, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of one that comes immediately to mind, and it may not be like the reality of the data, but it's more of the perception of the data and what's being collected and what's being used. I want to say it was like 10 years ago, you had that story break of, you know, like the way target was modeling the data, the way the story goes. And again, like there's part of me that like, doesn't know how true the story is and how much it is, um, over dramatized it. The, and I don't to some may even say it's not even true, but like the story it's, it's still circulated where, um, you know, target had fine tuned purchase behavior tied to your target red card that when it saw certain per products being purchased, it kind of knew certain things about phases of life that you were, um, going into. And, you know, the target catalog showed up at the, the house and it was like, Oh, you're expecting your new baby. It was for the daughter and the father lost it. And it was because of certain purchases she was making. And again, like where, where you were going with that statement, it's maybe not necessarily of protections of the data. It's this, this definitely veers off into the privacy, but it's, it's also getting ahead of when those stories come out of like how accurate the data of monetization is the personalization, the modeling, um, and is it really being used and have you properly notified people? That's a thinker. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's not an easy one because it's not like something like, man, if we just had this extra level of security, this breach wouldn't have happened. It's right. it's it's almost like the, this one thing I was taught back in college and it was around the idea of like conflicts of interest. It, mm -hmm. it an actual conflict of interest doesn't have to exist for there to be a conflict of interest. There could just be a perceived conflict of interest. So in this case, like, again, the accuracy of that story and over years, I think it may have grown a bit, but like the, the disclosure around how data is being used 
Because, I mean, we've known for years, you know, any of those rewards cards or anything like that, they're collecting a level, level of data about you. What they're doing with it can be overhyped. It might not be. We don't know. But I think it's it's part of being a data steward is is not is being maybe a bit more clear about how the data is used because again the perception of you were collect collecting information about every little purchase I make and modeling things and making assumptions about me, just the perception of that happening can be just as damaging as it actually being done. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Jason. No, no, go ahead. Cause I'm going to pivot it to a slightly different question. I was going to say demographics, right? Play a huge role in how you're modeling the data. So maybe that was a missing component when it came to what they did to target, you know, folks based on their purchases. So, I mean, I, I don't have kids, but I don't know, like Jason, your kids are probably old enough or at, when they got to a certain age, I don't know if you ever allowed them to have purchasing power like that or have a credit card just to, you know, teach them the values of that kind of thing. Right. Like, um, I would have thought you could easily maybe filter or bucket folks based on their age within this model. And let's exclude 16 and under for this, you know, you know, mom to be kind of thing campaign or something, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I might be oversimplifying that, but that's just no, but you bring up a good and that kind of, um, flows nicely into how I wanted to pivot the question. Do you, do you think that, and not that this should be an excuse, but do you think part of the explanation, both at an individual level and at a corporate level that we just have so much data that it's not that we've become numb to it, but maybe overwhelmed by it. Just think on a personal basis, how much data is flowing in from our smartphones and cameras and all this stuff that's collecting data, our credit card purchases, like individually, it's overwhelming to manage the health and security of just that data. But from a company perspective, you know, we get siloed on digital data website and phones and tablets and kiosks, but that's just such a small percentage of all of this data that the company is collecting and we're being collect, pushed to collect more and more and more. How much of, how much of kind of putting our guard down is just not us being bad stewards of the data, but simply overwhelmed by the sheer mass of data that has to be managed. Yeah, I was going to say, um, it, it all, I think goes back to what, what are you trying to do? I think we both, both of you guys, we've talked about this. So if you're being asked to do something like we need to collect X, Y, Z data. Well, why do you need to do that? Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with the five whys. So, you know, because we want to understand how many customers we're getting to our website. Well, why do you need to understand how many customers are getting to your website? Because we want to make sure that the campaign that we were, you know, driving last month actually drove most of those customers that we're seeing today. Well, why do you need to know? You know, it just goes all the way down to what the core question is. Like, did we get sales in this product or department based on the campaign we launched a month ago? Like, that's the real question. And so what data do you need to go answer that? Not, well, we need all the campaign data. We need to know, like you said, from the tablet, from, from mobile, from web, from, you know, how did the commercials do? Like, no, we just want to answer this one question first. You can always dig back into you know, your segments, you know, things like that. But I think it just comes down to really simplifying. So when you talk about sustainable analytics, that's what comes to mind for me is simplifying what it is that we need to get answered. And you can always dig deeper, go deeper. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the why and we're, we're quickly coming up on time here, but I do want to maybe dig into this as the last kind of question that we um, explore a little bit. Um, it, it's such a valuable question that why, um, but I think oftentimes whether it's personality types that tend to become analysts or, um, you know, maybe we, we feel like imposters, maybe whatever the explanation is, oftentimes I think we see our job as 
as doers, like we're given a spec and it's like, okay, go do this. And we don't feel it's our job or we don't feel confident in ourselves to ask the question, but why? And so what ends up happening and kind of pulling this back to the cost of bad data is we don't ask why. We may want to know, but for whatever reason, we don't dive into it and we just build to the spec we were handed, making a lot of assumptions to get there. And we inadvertently end up creating a lot of, quote, bad data. Um, so I'm going to ask you the why. why. Why do you think that is that as analysts, and it's not all analysts, but you know, a, a big percentage of the population um, doesn't think they need to ask that question or doesn't feel comfortable asking that question. Okay, well, why are you asking that? Right, Not as a pushback, but as a way to better yeah. understand what you're asking so we can give you what you need. Yeah, it's great that you say not as a pushback because I think people see it as a negative when you ask why. It's like a little kid, right? Why, why, why? And you're like, oh my God, kid, you're driving me nuts. Um, you want to help them understand, right? You don't just ignore it. Well, because, because I said so. Well, there you go. There's that happening from your manager and from the director. And, you know, um, I think it just, they're not empowered. They're afraid they're, um, you know, they're maybe new into the company and well, this person's been here five years, they know what they're doing. But if you have some, like something tingling, your spider senses are tingling, you know, and you have a question you want to ask, or you want to know a little bit more about what they're asking. I don't think it's any harm to do that, but I think it comes with experience, unfortunately, being able to push back, being able to say no, being able to say, you know, why don't we wait on that and let's see what comes out of this thing first before we jump ahead of ourselves or, you know what I mean? And like you talk about cost of data, that's what's happening when we don't ask why. So you're my marketing stakeholder. You ask me for something, I go and get it based on what I understand you're asking for. Here you go. No, that's not what I was looking for. I actually wanted this. Okay. Goes back to me. Okay. Here you go. This is what you wanted. And we've even done this when we were consulting together. Like, no, actually, why don't we think about it this way? It's like, that's great. And not saying that, you know, our uh, process was the same as this, but when you have that back and forth iteration, the cost of running those queries, the cost of pulling that data again, pulling it in a different way, pulling longer ranges of, you know, dates, uh, that's all cost. And, you know, and it, I think if you get down to the very basic level of what the customer's looking for first, you might have one or two, maybe three iterations and you're done rather than five or six. And then it's a month later and you're like, we don't have an answer yet. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, such, such great insights. Uh, this has been awesome. Um, it is kind of flown by. I can continue. I, and this shouldn't come as a surprise. Stuart and I have like scheduled like 30 minute calls to jam about data. And like two hours later, we're like, wait a minute, we're a little bit over time at this point. I could keep asking questions forever, but, uh, Jim, I'll let you kind of put a nice bow on this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, this has been great. Stuart, I, I appreciate you, you know, jumping on with us and coming to, to chat about this. And I think, um, well, one, I normally end, um, or, you know, podcast episodes with asking about what does this all mean in the context of sustainable analytics, but you answered that like five minutes ago. So you beat me to that, that one. <laughs> That's typically my, my wrap up question, but no, I, I really appreciate you joining us. Like, I think th this episode really put, um, uh, you really wrapped up our, our recent theme on just value in general and and talking about the the value of of data and making sure that it is valuable and not just just assuming it is so but as we wrap up um if there's anybody that wants to reach out and chat with you further um let our listeners know where they can where they can find you um i mean linkedin is probably the best place um at least to start out i can share i don't know if i can share that with you guys um, yep, I, I'll make sure to put it in the in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, that's I think where anyone really I've had my LinkedIn account for like 15 years or something. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just in case, like if if there is someone who wants to reach out and chat more with you, uh, make sure they know where to find you. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure like meeting with you guys and, you know, uh, getting introduced to you, Jim, for the very first time a couple weeks ago. Yeah, our conversation was great. And Jason, as always, it's it's been awesome. Um, I was just going to say, though, that what you guys are trying to educate people on and try and tackle. I mean, this has been going on now for I could probably say decades. So it's not easy work <laughs> to be. No, doing. no. Um, but the more people that we can get to kind of come on board and help each other, not just say you need to do this. I think that's huge. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Agreed. And, and to that point, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, um, to that point, kind of where this theme started, you're right. Like this is not a new problem, nor is it an easy one. We've Jason, and I've been talking internally recently around the need to look at value, um, you know, previously a lot of analytics teams were able to get away with just simple tasks and showing progress through the form of simple tasks like deployed this new dimension or running reports and scheduling extracts. That that's not working anymore. Um, the, you need to actually show true value and know how to get the value out of the data, not just show that hey we did something today. And that comes with partnering with your stakeholder. So if you're an implementation specialist and you implement this new thing for the analyst that asked for it because he wants to track it and measure it, okay, let's follow through. How's that analyst going to take that to the business? And let's follow through with that. How did the business use it and how did it improve or not? Because it's kind of like an A-B experiment, you know? If mm -hmm. it didn't, okay, why? And let's learn from that. So that follow through, I think, is key. That, that's, that's a... Yeah, and that's a perfect way to kind of bring it full circle to how we started out talking about the importance that we're part of a larger team and we're working together and us being isolated and saying, hey, it's not my responsibility is not the right approach. You know, we need to be bought into the bigger thing that we're trying to do together. So it's been great, Stuart. Thank you for joining us. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah really appreciate the time. You know, thanks for thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Cool. Yeah. Let's wrap up there and we'll talk to everyone later. See you. All right. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.